The uh, topic for this uh, particular class uh, is uh, responding to the false religions that we find in Babylon, and that's not the, uh, the title of it. Quite frankly, I don't remember the title very well. Uh, but it was a topic that we had assigned originally to someone else who had to, uh, who was unavailable. So, and we were going to bring in somebody who was a uh, an expert on world religions and deal with Hinduism and Islam and other prominent religions. We're not going to do that today. That's not my field of expertise at all. But hopefully, uh, we'll have some connections and we'll be able to do that later, uh, as we have the immigrant population growing in the United States. Uh, we're having more people come into where Christianity, while it still is the dominant religion, it is one that is now being surrounded by all others. Uh, we're in just the opposite situation, probably the way our Babylon was, to where Judaism was isolated to the slaves and the false religions uh, overwhelmed them. But we're going to talk about how do we respond to truth and error. But before we do, I'm going to pray and uh, give us all a chance to kind of get settled in, all right? Father, right now, I want to ask that you would uh, just help us to sort of survive our lunches. Uh, Father, it's just great to be able to, to go out with people that we love, uh, people that we don't get to see often, Father. One of the things I love about CMU is the renewal of, uh, of friendships, Father. Friendships that we, re that we really get to spend some time in, in, in uh, the summer, in a week, uh, or in Florida, but they're meaningful. And Father, I know there's new people that we got to meet. Uh, Father, I got to go to lunch with some today, and it's just a privilege, a blessing. Thank you for your church and the relationships you give us. Father, as we talk about false religions and we talk about truth, help us to understand that we have a role to make sure that we promote not just Christianity as far as a label, but the truth of Christ and the truth of his teachings. And so, Father, as we, uh, as we do that, help us to, uh, to always to be kind, to always be loving. But, Father, help us always to be loyal to you above everything else, Father. Again, uh, I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the thing. We are in a, in a world in our culture right now to where for the first time uh, probably in, in the history of our culture over the last few years, it is for many young people, many college students, absolutely acceptable for, you, for them and for many of their family members to be whatever they want to be religiously. And so if you want to be a, a Mormon, you can be a Mormon. If you want to be a Hindu, you can do, be a Hindu. If you even want to be a, a, a Muslim in, in the, the American kind of Muslim, non-terrorist way, then you can be a Muslim. And it's because, quite frankly, people would say, we've, we've just become open to, to more truth. And the truth is, we've not become more open to truth. We've probably become more close to truth than ever before, it's just that truth has stopped mattering. That while we define as truth at one time was absolute, that there were standards, and many would say the Bible would reveal those standards, to most of our culture, truth is a relevant thing. And what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. You guys run into that all the time? And you can be with somebody in a discussion you can be in a discussion with someone and they can have a diametrically opposed view than you have, but if they were in tune with cultural thinking and with the religious thinking by and large today, uh, sort of almost a sponge-like culture, even though you're diametrically opposed, two opposite positions, both of you can walk away reassuring each other that you're okay 
because you're this true for you and this is true for me. And so you walk away with complete contradiction, but both of you being right. And here's the challenge that we have as Christians is that we are challenged to recognize a definite set of, uh, of teachings as truth that Jesus would even say, I am the way, the truth, the singular nature of truth. And so we have to make sure how, to, how do we do that in a culture that rejects that? And what I want us to do, I guess today, is just to sort of cement this idea that, that you guys hold to biblical truth and don't allow yourselves to compromise. Now, I want you to know that simpler proclamation of truth never convinces anybody of error. But I do believe that if you will live the truth out consistently before the world, if you will speak the truth lovingly to the world, you will see people in your world transformed. Not everybody, but there has never been a time in the history of our planet where everybody was transformed by the truth of the gospel. So what I want you to know, though, is that you've got to make sure you're doing these two things as we identify truth, that you make sure after you've identified it, that as you identify it, that you then incorporate it into your life. Because it doesn't matter whether it's truth or not that you're speaking. If your life contradicts it, they're not going to believe it. You have to incorporate that truth into your life, and you have to communicate that truth in love to the people that you're communicating it to. But we have to establish that there is truth. And here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. And I think they're going to have some notes along the side. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul wrote this to the church. And he said, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we preach to you. Now, again, as you look at those words, that the, the word accurth, it's it, it, the Greek word, it's anathema, and it literally means to be cut off eternally. It's as strong a denunciation as somebody could do uh, or, or give to someone who was opposed to them. And so he just says, here's the, and this is the apostle speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if anybody brings to you a strange teaching, a strange religion. What, what, how do we define strange? Well, it's not by whether or not it's strange to us. Because many of you, when you became Christians, you found out a whole lot of strange stuff, didn't you? Uh, my daughter was sharing. We were, we were at lunch with, with some new friends and from uh, Iberia and just sitting around talking. And we we're pointing over at Katie Graham now. And Katie was, uh, when, when my daughter studied with Katie, she said, well, Katie, how do you feel like your, your relationship with God is? Like, you know, or if you die tonight, do you think you, you'd, go, you'd go to heaven? And Katie was like, oh, yes, I, I think so. You know, and she was, you know, a, a valley girl of sorts back then, I guess. And Ashley said, well, why would you say that? And her response, quite frankly, was, well, I've never killed anybody. And there was this idea that as long as you never killed anybody, you're going to heaven. And so as they began to study... She found it strange, some of the things that were taught in Scripture. If you remember, whenever Paul was lecturing in the book of, of, uh, in, in the book of Acts, where it's revealed, those who are listening to him said, you seem to be advocating strange teachings or strange gods. And so strange is not whether or not you are familiar with it. That's not how you have to define strange. 
Because some of you grew up in a religious group that, that taught something different. Some of you grow up in a, in a very conservative church to where I, I was in Florida last week speaking, and uh, I, I had a great time there with, with getting to hear some really quality lessons. Got to spend some time around a good friend named Dolly Dillon, but I got to spend some time with his, with his mom and dad. And I met them several years ago, but never really got to talk with them. And we, it was just a, a, just a joy getting to be around them. But while we were there, somebody was baptized here at, at the crossings, and there was a picture, and it was a lady baptizing somebody. And when they saw that, they were like, oh, and, and you know, you could see her eyes. I, I think she's Filipino. I'm not sure. Is that, does anybody know Donnie's uh, moms? I think that's right. But her eyes kind of get big and, and we began to talk and her husband's like, oh, well, I'm old school Church of Christ. So, so I don't know about it. Oh, so yeah. And I said, so you're old school Church of Christ. So you don't care about traditions. You just care about truth, right? And he goes, oh yeah, I guess so. You know, he's a little uncomfortable. She goes, I just didn't know I could baptize somebody. Now, in Scripture, there is zero emphasis placed on who does the baptizing, so much that the Apostle Paul said, man, I baptize you and you, and man, you maybe somebody else, but I don't even remember who I baptized. Who is doing the baptizing has nothing to do with what's going on. But maybe you're going, that's kind of strange, because you could see the look on her face like, women can baptize, you know, and it's as if men baptize, you go to heaven, women baptize, you go to hell, you know. No, that's not in the scripture. That's, it may be strange, but strange can be true. You can't define strange, and we don't want to define strange based upon our familiarity with it. We define strange, is it anything that disagrees with what the scriptures teach? It's foreign to the scriptures. It's strange to the people that we're speaking. So Paul again says, God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you've welcomed, let that person be cursed. And then he says this, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my go, I'd not be God's servant. So here's the thing that you've got to be willing to recognize. If you can't reject strange teaching because you're afraid of rejection, you can't be a servant of God. Does that connect with you? He says, obviously, if you listen to what I've just said, I'm not trying to pacify the culture I live in. I'm not trying to please people because if I was trying to please people, I couldn't be a servant of God. So to reject strange teachings and strange religions because we don't want to be rejected means that we cannot be servants of God. So we have to stand up and say, okay, we've got to hold our ground and hold to the truth that we find in Scripture. Now, this, this afternoon, we're going to walk through a book that's a little book in the very back of the Bible called Jude. And we're not, you, if you get a chance, it's, it's a book that quite frankly that isn't read a lot anymore. It's not studied a lot. And I think in large degree, because almost everything it has to do with is the correction of religious error within a church. And our society in general has said, listen, we shouldn't be about correcting anybody. We've misused, they've misused scripture. We shouldn't be about correcting. We ought to be inclusive. You all have saw the coexist bumper stickers that are on 
cars and on windows, and it's all of the different symbols of world religions. And when it says coexist, we would agree that every one of them has a right to exist, that we have no right to do anything harmful to them, nor do we have a right to treat them in a rude way. But when that bumper sticker says coexist, really what it's saying is that they're co-equal. You've got 10 or 12 different religions in the world, and what that bumper sticker is promoting is the cultural teaching that you can be a Christian, and that's great, but don't think that your Christianity is superior in any way to any one of these others' religions. And if you say, yeah, but this is the truth, and there is one God, you will be accused of being narrow-minded and biased simply because of your belief system. So in the book of Jude, it's writing to a group of people and that have lost or are in danger of losing the truth to some strange teaching that's coming in. And strange, not that it was unheard of before, because it's going to be referenced as teachings that also occurred during the times of the Exodus, like we talked about last night. But it's strange, it's odd in comparison to what Jesus and the apostles taught. So we're going to walk through the book of Jude, and we're going to look at three or four things just I think that it's important for you to recognize as a believer. And all of this is said in the context of uh, knowing truth does no good unless it is lived consistently and spoken lovingly. So you understand that's the foundation. I'm going, okay, you get this. Those are the foundations which these four truths out of the book of, uh, out of, the book of Jude are formed. So how, how, how in the world, what, what, what do I need to know from the book of Jude? Well, here's one of the things in scripture what you need to know is that the faith, and, and the faith, if you notice this in quotes, the faith is worth discussing and, and defending. It's important. The faith is worth discussing and defending and is important, it should say there. Because again, in our culture, truth doesn't matter. Let's not talk about things that might be, that might be controversial. In the book of Jude, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, starts off, and he says this in verse 3. Beloved, even though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith. Now what Jude says is whenever I started to pen this letter, whenever I was going to write this to you, man, I was just going to encourage you. and We were just going to talk about the things we share in common. We were going to talk about how cool it is. You're saved. I'm saved. We're saved. Let's save the world. It's an awesome gospel. It's a great commission. It's a wonderful Jesus. That's what he wanted to do in his letter. But he said... I couldn't do that. I didn't do that because I found it necessary. I found it important, even if not what, it's not what I wanted to do, I find it important, necessary to write to you and to warn you to contend for the faith. And so the faith is a system of teachings, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, listen, I just wanted you guys, I wanted to have a big hug fest, but I couldn't do that. Because the faith that was for you that you were taught is in danger, and I need to let you know that it is important for you 
to discuss the faith, and it's important for you to defend the faith. So just remember that to begin with, that the Holy Spirit tapped this guy on the shoulder and said, no, you don't get to write what you wanted to write. You get to talk about the good things and the positive things that you wanted to talk to because there is something that is threatening that good news. Second thing for the book of Jude I want you guys to understand is that the Bible says that God delivered the faith. The faith is worth discussing and defending. And it says it's worth discussing and defending because God delivered the faith once for all time. Now, when you hear the word faith, there are a number of ways that we use it in scripture. Last night, when I talked about faith, I talked about it in a completely different context and a completely different, different, different definition than I am today. Last night, when we talked about faith, we were talking about the personal trust that you have in Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, Savior and Provider. But there are times in Scripture when the word faith has to do not with your personal faith, but a system of beliefs. And you will know those times because most often it will be marked as the faith. Just in the same way when the Bible talks about the law, anytime in the New Testament that it says the law it's talking about the Old Testament. It's not talking about the rules of the New Testament. But if it has the law, it is always going to ref reference the Old Testament laws and doctrines. So when Jude writes, he says, I felt it necessary that you contend for the faith. He's saying you have a system of teachings. And we understand that it's used in that way in our world also. If I say to someone, of what faith are you? They may be in Christendom, you may have someone say, well, I'm a member of this church or that church. But if you ask someone, in, 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 if you go to a, to a major airport and walk around and say, what's, what's your, the faith of, what, what faith are you? You might have one say, I'm Islamic, I'm Baha'i, I'm someone who is Hindu, I am whatever, you know, whatever it might be, you would have a, and what they're saying is, I identify with this systems of teachings, that's where I came out of. So in Jude, he says, I want you to contend for this faith. And he says, I want you to contend for this faith. I want you to let you know that this faith was delivered to you by God. In Acts 6, 7, the Bible says, so the word of God spread the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. They followed and embraced the system of teachings that Jesus provided for them. In Ephesians 4.13, the Bible says that the, the, in 12, he says that he gave us pastors and teachers to equip us for works of service. And he says, this is continuing until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in Jude 2, the passage that we're verse 2, or verse 3 actually, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now he says that God used the Holy Spirit through the mouths we know from what Peter says. God used the Holy Spirit through the mouths of the apostles to deliver the system of teachings. And he says that was delivered one, once for all. Some translations will say once delivered for all time. 
And that word in the original language has to do with a completion and a finality to it. That's why Paul would say, if anybody preach any other gospel, it's not, let him be accursed because he knew that the gospel had been delivered. It's not going to be changed. When the angel or when Joseph Smith imagines or whatever he does that an angel from heaven comes down and gives him another gospel, which is what the Book of Mormon says underneath it, another gospel of Jesus Christ, you can immediately reject it. Number one, it's different. Number two, it's another. And the original gospel was delivered by God through the Holy Spirit and the servants. So it is something that he has entrusted to us once and for all time. There will never be a time where there is an addendum or an amendment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth that we find in scripture. So the faith is worth discussing and defending. God delivered the faith is the second thing for the book of Jude. Thirdly, Satan distorts the faith. And honestly, this shouldn't surprise us because it's been one of his schemes all along that he would take something that was right and twist it like he did with Adam and Eve, with the truth that Adam and Eve received, he simply twisted it, inserted a bit of a lie while leaving a bunch of truth, but it changed everything. In Jude, the book of Jude again, verse four, the Bible says, uh, he says, I say this, I've encouraged you to contend for the faith because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Now, number one, anybody who doesn't hold to the gospel automatically are teaching a strange gospel, something that's different in comparison to the text of Scripture. But also anybody who delivers that strange doctrine or religion, whether it would be with under the umbrella of Christianity or outside of the umbrella of Christianity, anybody who delivers that, that message, that different message, is also ungodly. And that's an important thing for us to recognize, that I cannot be a godly person without revealing what God has to say. When it is not the truth of God, it becomes the lie of Satan. And it's important for us to recognize that Satan is always trying to distort the truth and his distortions always have a host. Always. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are walking and a serpent speaks to Adam. If you would go all through scripture, the serpent is the rarity, but you find that the host, not only does error and the distortion have someone to, to convey that and to host it, it is almost a, always a human host. It's not some miraculous sign that, that Satan uses or, or, uh, most of the time. And if it is, it's performed by an individual, a counterfeit miracle, Paul would tell the Thessalonians. But it has a host. And so I need to recognize that as I'm listening to what's going on, that God says, man, this, the truth that you believe, the society may say, that doesn't matter. You don't have to defend it. You don't need to discuss truth. Let's talk about love and let's talk about all we have in common. The truth is worth defending because God delivered it the way he wanted. And Satan will distort it and he will use people, some of them knowingly and some of them unknowingly, to distort that truth. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, as Paul speaks, he says, I'm afraid that your minds have been corrupted and that you will abandon your full and pure devotion to Christ in the same way that Eve was deceived by the snake's clever lies. He says, listen, man, you, I, I'm really concerned for you because the strategy, the mode of operation that Satan takes with Adam and Eve is the same one that he's going to take with you. And in his deception, he is always designed to pull you away from pure devotion to something that's unpure, to remove you from something that is revealed in Scripture to something that is strange to Scripture. So you need to recognize that Satan is going to try to distort truth. It's how he's reacted. It's how he destroys. It's how he pulls people away, which makes it even more important that you know that it is important that you discuss and be able to defend the truth. Remember what Peter said. He said, listen, you guys, you need to set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts. Now, why does he say you ought to put Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts? Well, the Bible says that the heart controls everything we do. So what he's saying is, make sure you're being what you need to be. Let Jesus control your heart. Let him control your life. And always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you concerning this hope that you have within you. So I make sure that I speak the truth lovingly and humbly. I'm modeling it. And the reason I need to make sure I'm doing that is because Satan is out there trying to distort the truth. And in destroying the truth, he can destroy people. So the faith is worth discussing and defending. God delivered the faith. Satan distorts the truth. And then fourthly, in the book of Jude, we see that because he distorts it, you and I must discern between truth and error. Now, for some of you, it is really important. You know, you can identify in the world out there religions that are false. But if you're like me, sometimes you get weary of being in that mode of defending the truth. You ever get just sick of it? I mean, I'm just like tired of arguing. I just, why can't we just, why do we have to do that? And, and I find myself in almost like, you know, let's just circle up and let's sing Kumbaya and pass the joint and let's just relax. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I'm just tired of all this. Can't you just, can I just be likable for once? Why am I always in this role of, of correcting? And it's scary when the world doesn't view Christianity as any different than most world religions. But it's even scarier with when, with, when within the church, we don't view Christianity or even authentic Christianity as different. And guys, can I let you know that as Paul speaks, we're not dealing with Babylon. That, again, that, that's not one of the topics that, with everything that's going on that I wanted to invest my time in studying out Islam and Hinduism. What my concern is, and, I, and I'm not wanting to make a road more narrow than it is, but I don't want to make it any wider than Jesus made it. And the fact that we, have, that we get tired of standing up for truth and we get fatigued and we just want to give up on truth, it tells us how much Satan has been able to get us to be cultural within the world that we live. So you know I've got to make sure that we're discerning truth. Before you believe anything, you make sure that it's in Scripture. Before you embrace anything, it's in Scripture. 
Whenever I was talking with, with some people in Florida, I was trying to let them know that sometimes, you know, we, we'll point out things that are wrong, that the scripture really says it's wrong. And then there's times where like the baptizing thing to where we get all worked up. And in order to make it wrong, we have to create a doctrine. Tell me the passage of scripture that you're going to turn to. And there's not a passage of scripture in the world that you can turn to in the, in the Bible that will somehow make that something that, that you can find a prohibition on. But we can write one. And it's strange teaching when we do that, but we've got to make sure that we're discerning. You've got to make sure that you're discerning. Don't allow the world, as I think Mackie was talking about in Romans 12, one, it says, don't get so well-adjusted to your culture that you just go along with it, the message paraphrase says. That Romans 12, that, and it's kind of strange because, you know, again, I don't, I don't know, if, does anybody have the message? If you get the message, let me turn to Romans 12, one. I think it's significant in that verse that you understand how tempting it is just to go along. Somebody got that verse? I see this girl, she's texting quickly here. She's going, I'll get it for you. Can I borrow it for just a second? Do you mind throwing that to me? Oh, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> I can't read it. It's broke now. Just kidding. He says this. This is Romans. This is the message paraphrase is a one-man, not a translation paraphrase by a guy named Eugene Peterson. I've read several of his books years ago. He says, here's what I want you to do. This is Romans 12.1. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God has done for you as the best thing you can do for him. Here's verse 2. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit right into it, even without thinking. Instead, fix your eyes on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. You know the ironic thing about that? Just recently, Eugene Peterson embraced homosexuality as okay. There was an immediate backlash, by the way, and it's been tried to be covered up where they pulled all of his books, and now he is hedged on that. And the reason I share that is just to let you know how easy it is to be influenced by something outside of Scripture. When we look at what the Bible says about homosexuality, understand that homosexuality is no different than any other sin. It's a very pervasive sin that it's hard to deal with. There's a lot of factors. We don't know a lot about it. We have several members of our congregation who would identify with that particular struggle. I've never had that particular struggle. I'm more identified with just the less crazed weasel struggle myself. You know what I mean? As long as I've been alive. And so, but here's what I want. It's, there's not been a new revelation in scripture that says it's okay. There's not been any confusion historically about what it says. When you look at what there's clarity, but what is different is the culture has become accepting. And as the cultural tidal wave comes, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves carried along on it and maybe not fully carried along, but moved from the secure position to a strange position. So you have to make sure that you're discerning in what's going on. In Jude verses 17 through 20, Jude writes these words. But you must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. 
Now, he's talking specifically about a, a teacher that's coming in, and it really is a fascinating study to read, to study the book of Jude sometimes. To study the things that he says, these are things that are going on right now, or that were going on as I speak for Jude 2,000 years ago, and how Satan was working. I went through it with the guys in my small group a couple or three years ago, and they were blown away as they researched and did a little study to find out the things that were going on then are exactly the same things that are going on now. Somebody's saying that you can become a believer in Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, and that sexual immorality doesn't matter. If you go across most of the churches in the nation, you will find that there are people that are there in good standing. They're living with someone that they're not married to. It is common. You will find now an increasing number of churches that will say that same-sex attraction is okay, even if it's acted out upon. So there's nothing that's new. So he said, remember, this is something, this shouldn't shock you, this mode of operation that Satan is gonna do this thing to where, he said, remember they told you that in the last times there'd be scoffers. What are scoffers? People who sort of make fun of the truth. These people are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit but you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith. That, her, that holy, again, is an emphasis on something that is set apart and it is different than what the world believes. The world sees it is strange because it's different from them. We see what they believe or we should see what they believe as strange because it is different than what is revealed in the scriptures. Again, not because it's, we're uncomfortable with it. Guys, can I let you know if the Bible didn't say anything about same-sex attraction or about, uh, you name whatever it might be, about people living together and having sex, if it didn't say those things were wrong, we would have no right to feel that they were wrong and it would be wrong for us to feel uncomfortable with them. It has to be based upon what's revealed in truth and you can't become tired of doing those things. In 1 John 4, 1, the Bible says, Dear, dearly loved friends, don't always believe everything you hear just because someone, someone says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is, for there are many false teachers around. Many false teachers are around, so test the spirits. Don't just believe because someone says, this is religious or this. You've got to make sure that you're, what you're believing is, is contained within the text and is it foreign or strange to the text. So how do you guys make sure, what do I need to do in order to make sure that, that I can be someone who can live the truth consistently consistently, proclaim it lovingly, and to proclaim it in a way that's true to what the Bible says. How, how, how can I make sure that I know the difference between truth and error? How do I make sure that I'm not caught up in this? And I'm going to give you four things that can help, all right? Number one, you have to choose to care about the truth. And maybe more difficult for you than most people because you live in a culture that no longer cares. Whenever I was growing up, I don't know of a single religious group that would say, I don't care about truth. But I could get over on my 
computer today, yes, I, and I looked earlier in the week, and I could find tons of articles that said that truth really doesn't matter. And then they would go on to say what really matters was love. And understand that love is absolutely important. That without love, truth is absolutely meaningless. But the idea that truth doesn't matter isn't anywhere in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul wrote to a young guy and he said, I want you to know how God's people who are, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in, I'm in the wrong place here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, I bet you're back there, Pat's going, what are you talking about? I got to jump 37 slides ahead. I have to care about truth. In Ephesians 4, 18, the Bible says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes you just look at people and we look at ourselves. Well, you know, they just don't know God. They're just ignorant. And all of us are ignorant in some way, correct? I mean, every one of you knows something about something that I am absolutely ignorant about. We were in Florida last week at one of those flea markets, and they had Fortnite T-shirts. And they look really cool. And they had like a gun and a, some kind of pickaxe or something on. I hadn't a clue what that was, but I thought it looked cool, so I bought four for my grandboys because they all play that game. And when they're like it, they just start salivating. When I show it to them, like, oh, that's my favorite weapon. It's awesome. I'm like, cool. What about, I'm great grandpa too. Huh? Favorite grandpa, yeah. I don't have a clue what any of that is about. All of us have areas of ignorance that don't matter, but when it comes to things that are spiritual, ignorance can matter. But here's the thing. With these guys, they are not ignorant because not, they are not ignorant because no one would teach them. They were ignorant because they didn't have a heart to learn. Look at what the rest of the verse say. says. It says that they're separated from life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It is one thing to be ignorant and to long to be taught and to love truth. It is another thing to be ignorant and say truth doesn't matter and to degrade it. And again, I want to challenge every, every person, here, every college student, every high school student to know that the truth matters and you have to value that truth and you have to love that truth and don't let Satan devalue it in a way that our society would feel comfortable with. Because here's the thing, if something ain't valuable, you throw it away, right? How about that picture of your prom with your ex-boyfriend? What'd you do with that? Threw darts at it first, right? You know, do an ugly, you know, mustache on it. And then you crumple it up and threw away. No value. What you don't value, what you don't value, you discard. So if you stop valuing truth, if you think that it's something that doesn't matter, it is going to be natural for you to discard it over and over and over again. And one of the problems with truth is that what, this, what, the, what truth says gets in the way of what self wants to hear sometimes, but it's still valuable. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, the Bible says that Satan will use every kind of evil trick, evil to trick those who are lost. They'll die because they refuse to love the truth. If they'd love the truth, they'd be saved. So all those will be judged guilty who did not believe the truth, but enjoyed doing evil. 
Now, it gives you some insight into why they wouldn't love the truth because it contradicted what they want. And you have to be careful. Again, sometimes, you know, I, we can have objective truth. I've known people that, you know, that, that have, have been very clear on, on what the Bible says is a, a, a reason for divorce that God understands and would say, I, I, I can understand that. I, I'm okay with that. Now, again, divorce is not an unpardonable sin, and we need to make sure that we that we are clear on that. And we, again, have a great divorce care ministry here. It's one of our most effective ministries at bringing people into the church. But there's a difference in being able to be forgiven for a sin of divorce and saying that divorce is never a sin. You understand that? that? That divorce can be, that divorce is a sin that can be forgiven may be strange to people who grew up in the traditional churches of Christ like I did. But for the apostles, the idea that divorce is not a sin would be strange because it contradicts what the Holy Spirit and what Jesus had said. So there's, there, we, we go because, and often what I found is, is that when someone wants to say, you know, the, the reason I went through the, my, my, I, I'm, I've softened on divorce is because I've had a family member. You know, my son is divorced now. And it's good, I think, that we become more compassionate but whether or not a family member is involved in something doesn't change the reality of something being right or wrong. You see, people have been very clear through the years about what the Bible says about same-sex attraction. But it's amazing how many parents I've talked with over the last couple of years who are waffling on whether or not they believe that any longer. And it's weird as I begin to talk to especially people my age or a little younger and they're beginning to say I'm just not sure about that homosexuality thing almost every time whenever I begin to dig a little bit deeper either one of their children or someone they care about deeply has came out of the closet and revealed themselves to have that struggle now understand it is in scripture it is completely clear that a person can be forgiven and can be brought into the kingdom of Christ just like anybody else that sins. But to say that that isn't sinful is to believe something that's strange. And the greatest battle in loving the truth to caring about truth is that we've got to care, do we decide more about caring about truth or caring about what makes us comfortable? If you do not value truth, if there is not something very clear in your heart, in your mind, that the word of God is the word of God and it matters, mark my words, you will abandon it at some time. And I don't know if I will live long enough to see the state of Christianity in the United States to be what it is in Europe, to where it is an absolutely marginalized religion. But what I know is that if it does happen, it will be because of the same reason that in Europe that truth became absolutely marginalized and people stopped defending or feeling any need to contend for truth. And the few people that did, did it without loving and without living it in a way that was attractive. Guys, there, if there is no truth, you can embrace error, and error never frees anyone. And if there's nothing freeing about Christianity, who even cares about it? I have to make sure that I care about truth. Number two, I continue to study. 
By the way, I skipped Psalms 119 on the, on the page, and you can go back there. David said, I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, all because I consider all your precepts right. I hate every wrong path. I love the truth. I hate wrong paths. Why? Because wrong paths take you to wrong places. So I care about the truth. Secondly, I continue to study. Guys, don't just believe what somebody tells you. Don't just get caught up. You know, for some of you, the most you ever studied was the three weeks before you became a Christian. You know what I mean? That's, that's really kind of sad. How many infants, how many of you ate more the three weeks before you were born than any other time in your life? And yet that's what happens sometimes in our campus ministry, in our college ministries, quite frankly. We, we spend so little time studying the word of God that we don't know it. We're not familiar with it. We're not around it. We don't understand it. And when you don't understand it, it's easy for you to be deceived and lied to. You know, when we study with people about the word of God at the crossings, we, we do a, a challenge at the end of the study out of Acts 17, 11. So we either have a tornado coming or your child is somewhere going down the wrong road here, okay? I'm not sure which one, but uh, listen to me because this is as urgent as any tornado or amber alert. We issue the Be a Berea Challenge. And in the Be a Berean Challenge, it, again, it, it references Acts chapter 17 and here's what the World English Translation says. The people in Berea were better than the people in Thessalonica. Now, that may be, you go, well, well, they were a more noble character. Well, if you ask God to define what is better, what makes someone superior, it's never about exteriors. It's about their character. Here's what they did. They were glad to listen to Paul's words. Every day they studied the holy writings to see what Paul said was right. And then it says, and many of them believed and became followers of Paul, is, is what it says, followers ultimately of Christ. Three things that we challenge new believers to in this Be a Berean Challenge. Number one, will you be eager to study the Bible again? When can we get back together? That's an awesome thing for them to say. How about tomorrow? Great. Will you make sure that you, in between our studies, that you review everything that we've studied with you? Don't just have us tell you, get in and check it out. Will you do that? Oh, yeah, great. And if they do that, it's a really good sign. And then anything that you find in there that's true, that contradicts what you believe or needs to be obeyed in your life, you will reject the error and you will begin to immediately obey what God calls you to do. That's what being a Berean means. And it's a great challenge for new believers, but it's amazing that even though we offer that challenge when we baptize them we have a set of studies a book that we go through called deep convictions and almost never do we go through it or do the new christians go through it with the same intensity that they went through the studies and that's our fault and that's their fault and so that's us right so I know we have a tendency to be lazy when it comes to studying and we want everything to be easy but when it is amazing the clarity that will come to truth. It's amazing the clarity that consistent study brings, and it's equally amazing the cloudiness that inconsistent time in the word will. If you don't know the word, how do you know if it's a strange teaching or not? 
If you're not verifying it in the word, how do you know if it's truth or if it's error? If you're not obeying it, how do you know if it leads to a place of freedom and blessing? You have to be committed to continuing to study. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, and again, we use this, and I know many of you guys use similar studies, but in 2 Timothy 3, 15, the Bible says every passage, every scripture passage is inspired by God. They're breathed from God, and it says, and all of them are useful, and then it says four things that they're useful for. When I study with people, I'll sit down and say, okay, if you don't know what something is for, can you use it? If you don't know what it is, years ago, we did a Bible study, a cross chat called, it was our Balderdash Bible talk, it was called then, now it's cross chat. Anybody know what balderdash is? Okay, it's baloney or BS if you know what that is, okay? It's a Bible study, Bible study, okay? Uh, not exactly. But in this study, we had everybody the week before, I said, I want you to bring something next week to, to the group and here's what we'll do to begin with. Anything that you bring, you have to tell us what it's for and we'll determine whether you're telling the truth or whether you're balderdashing us. And so I don't remember everything that came in, but one of the guys came and he had this little thing and, I, and he told what it was for. And almost everybody said, we think that you're telling the truth. And we thought that he was telling the truth because he was a very unassuming kind of guy. And you know, I don't even remember what he said, but the truth is that he lied to all of us, okay? He was a blatant liar, okay? He'd probably done it for years. How else do you fool all of us? I fooled everybody when I was young. How'd I do that? Consistently lying. You get good at it. You are a liar, Ron Quick. That's the guy who brought his, this little thing. I don't remember what he said it was, but if we would have used it for whatever he said it was used for, we'd have broke it. It would have done us no good. What it was was a very, this is, at the time it was pretty elite. It was a straw that filtered waters and most contaminants. It was a little straw back then that cost two or $300, I think. His parents, when he got his master's degree, gave him a trip to Mount Kilimanjaro to climb that mountain. And this straw that if you ran out of water, it's a fresh water drink, even in polluted waters you could drink and it would be purified enough for you to be remain healthy to have a great chance of making it back. What an awesome tool if you're out in the wilderness. But if you don't know what it's for, you're gonna be trying to kill a caribou with it. You're not getting anything good out of it. If you don't know what the scripture's for, it's useless. And it says it's useful for teaching you new truths. It's, for, it's useful for pointing out errors. It's useful for showing you how to correct those errors and then how to train you to make sure that you can get those things together. So I care about truth. I continue to study a third thing and jump forward there to number three because we're gonna run out of time here. I wanna get everybody out in time to catch up. I need to make sure I connect with the church. And when I say the church, I mean a church that is deeply committed to biblical truth. If they don't care about truth, then you don't need to care about attending there. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the Bible says, I want you to know how the people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of a living God. And notice what he says, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Make sure that you connect with your church in a way to where you have people that are teaching you through your small group, through one-on-one relationships. Make sure that you're doing that, but also if you have someone come in, don't surrender them to the culture. The culture will naturally engraft them, and we're good at engrafting people until they're baptized. And then we just let them hang out to dry. 
Make sure you care about the church. You see, Satan knows the power of a faithful church and has in every generation attacked and tried to apostatize the church. And by the time the book of Revelation is written somewhere around 60 to 90 or 80, maybe that frame will give you some broadness there or you might think it would be. By the time the book of Revelation is penned, over half of the churches have given way to error. Five out of seven, I believe, that are mentioned. Connect with a church that's going to teach you the truth. They're going to promote the faith. They're going to protect the faith. And then finally, number four, go up to number four there, fly through that four. I need to make sure I commit to Christ. You see, you cannot be committed to truth without being committed to truth because in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why does abstract truth matter? Because the incarnate Christ who died for you said it did. And he modeled it and he taught it. And he died for it. In John 14, 6, again, in our discipleship study, the Bible says, so to those who believe in him, he said, if you obey my teachings, you're really my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you obey my teachings, you're my disciples. If you don't, you're not. And if you hold to my teachings, you're my disciples and you will know truth in a freeing kind of way. So we live in a world that says truth doesn't matter all kind of strange teaching. Let me encourage you to hold to the truth, to live the truth consistently, to communicate it lovingly, and watch the freedom it brings to your life, to your marriage, to your family, and the blessing it'll bring to the people you're coming in contact with. We're gonna pray, and then we're through, all right? Father, thanks for the people that are here, and I pray, God, that this has been something that, I, Father, I know I need it because I get weary of the battles, and I just want to coexist sometimes, but you didn't commission me to coexist. You commissioned me to go and teach and to baptize, <coughs> excuse me, and to teach. And the inference is obviously there that I'm supposed to commit to teaching truth, which means I have to model truth, which means that I have to care about truth. God, help me not care about it enough model it enough that I can communicate it in love so that it can have its effect on the person I'm communicating it to and the culture I'm communicating in. Father, help them be brought to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.